1903, December 17th, um, Orville and Wilbur Wright uh, succeeded in keeping their homemade airplane in the air for 59 seconds. And they're so excited, they sent a telegram to their sister in Dayton about this great accomplishment, and it said, first sustained flight today, 59 seconds, hope to be home by Christmas. Well, their sister was so excited when she got the news of the success that she rushed to the newspaper office and gave the editor the telegram, and the next morning, in the local paper, the headline here, in Dayton read in big, black, bold letters, Popular local bicycle merchants to be home for the holidays. (laughs) Okay, The scoop of the century was missed because the editor missed missed the whole point of it, right? Open your Bibles or your Bible apps or maybe those Bibles in the chair in front of you to Luke chapter 2. Okay, Luke chapter 2. As we have uh, gone through and are moving through this Christmas story in the Gospels, there are going to be a lot of people in the narratives who miss the point, okay? who don't understand what is going on at all. The birth of the Savior of the world went under the radar, except to everyone except those who, who saw the signs or those who received the visit from an angel. And yet when we look backwards, from our vantage point, backwards in history, We understand that God knew all along. The gospel writer is Luke, right? Now, he's a physician, and perhaps because he's a Gentile, okay, meaning he has not felt the weight for, for literally centuries, hundreds of years, waiting for the Savior to come for the Jewish nation. Perhaps maybe he's just more of a factual writer than he is an emotional one, but either way, it seems like Luke understates the events that are happening here in the fulfillment of prophecy in Luke chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. We'll find out there's, that's an understatement. Okay? While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Okay, you remember last week we looked at the, the crazy beginning of this relationship with Joseph and Mary. Through a vision, Mary was filled in on God's plan. Okay, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus was conceived in Mary. And through another visitation by an angel, Joseph was brought up to speed on what was going on. Okay? And so what, what, in what appears to be a twist to the plot and an incredible challenge, Caesar decides he's going to count his people. And he organizes the process by making everyone return to their hometown to register. So Joseph is required to travel to Bethlehem 
yet Mary is close to the end of her pregnancy, right? And he's not about to leave her alone as he goes on this journey. So the two of them leave together on this 60-mile trek from Nazareth to Bethlehem, okay? Now, when, when Christopher was eight months along, <laughs> we had to get special permission to fly on, on an airplane because the pregnancy was so close to the delivery, right? I, I've known, maybe not you, but certainly a number of people who like get impatient when it's time to come, time for the baby to come, and maybe they'll walk the mall or they'll walk the neighborhood or they'll walk to try to bring this uh, birth on quicker, okay? Uh, but what husband in the right mind would suggest to a nine-month pregnant woman, woman that we ought to take a donkey ride that's 60 miles long from Nazareth to Bethlehem, okay, and survive to tell about it or something like that, okay? And yet, yet, remember last week that we're talking about Mary, who seems to be just content to be the servant of God, and Joseph, who just seems to be this man of honor. And so they seem to just live and go with what, what is required of them. Now, we understand in retrospect, like we live in a favorable spot because we can see history in our rearview mirror. We look at what's happened, what happened then, what's happening now. We see it all together and we find, right, that's no twist to the plot at all. Like this birth and this journey to Bethlehem, it was central to the plot. The prophet Micah in chapter 5 verse 2 wrote this, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will rule over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Okay? Don't miss the fact as you read through this story okay, that, that literally 800 years before this event took place, that God, through the prophet Micah, foretold specifically how it would happen. You see, God knew all along that Caesar would be the ruler at this time and that he would declare the census and that Joseph, who was from Bethlehem because he was from the line of David, that Joseph would be cooperative in God's plan and that he would be required to return to Bethlehem for a census. And so he had Micah write those words because God knew in advance what was going to happen. Paul put it this way in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. He says, but when the set time had fully come. Okay, some of your translations probably mean read when the fullness of time had come. Meaning when history was pregnant for the opportunity, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. My friends, I mean, literally, how many times have we sat and wondered or pondered or struggled asking the question, God, are you aware of what is happening in my life right now? Are you listening to my prayers? Do you care about my pain and my circumstances? Are you active 
Or are you passive in this all, in all of this, God? Luke reminds us that God is alive and that he's watchful and that he's vigilant and that he is weaving all of the events of history together for his divine purpose and for the benefit of his people. Take heart today. Be encouraged today. If today is a rough day for you, that God is here with you. And he has known all along what this day would bring, what this season of your life would bring, just as he knew that there would be a census that would be taken when Quirinius was governor and Caesar was the ruler and that Joseph would have to go to Bethlehem and he would take Mary along and that is where the Christ child would be born. History and every individual life that is part of it belong to God. We need not be aware of it for it to be true, okay? nor for us to be part of bringing God's plan to fulfillment. But isn't it so much better when we understand that and life plays out before us and we understand that we are part of God's bigger plan and that we are never alone. God knew all along what would happen on that day and God has known all along what would happen on this day. Back in the text, we also see this good news wrapped up in a very small bundle. Look at verse 8 with me. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now you'll recall that Bethlehem was the home of David, and you probably remember that before David was was Israel's greatest king, right? You remember as a boy what he was? He was a shepherd. Okay, a shepherd. And from historical writings of the time, not in the Bible, but of that time, it's interesting that ironically, many of the sheep that were raised around Bethlehem were destined to become sacrifices in Jerusalem. Interesting that God announced um, the birth of Jesus, who would become the sacrifice for the sin of all mankind to men whose job it was to prepare appropriate sacrifices for the altar in Jerusalem. When the angel told them that the baby who would visit that night, who would be born that night, was to be the Messiah, the Lord, they they had no misunderstandings about who they were going to visit. The shepherds knew what was going on, 
Now, shepherds in that day, they were, they were kind of social outcasts, partly because of their occupation, okay? Partly because a lot of them were just verified as thieves. Like they would take their, their flocks and they would um, share pastures. And when they left the pastures, some of the shepherds had bigger flocks than they had when they came in, right? It was just part of their reputation. That's how it was. And, and interesting, isn't it interesting that Jesus, the adult Jesus, as he grows up 30 years later in his ministry, often found himself reaching out to those who were considered outcasts. Okay? It reminds us, right, there, there's hope for us who live lives that are less than perfect and who sometimes battle daily struggles in an attempt to live a life that honors God. Now that's good news, right? Good news for the shepherds, good news for the outcasts that Jesus met as an adult, good news for all of us whose lives fall short of the glory of God as we read in Romans. And yet this announcement, it was filled with good news. Think about the words. We read that the angel said that he brought good news that would cause great joy and that the birth of Jesus would bring glory to God and peace to those on whom his favor rests. Um, I, I know that Christmas brings struggle for a great number of people. Sometimes it brings loneliness for those who, who've experienced loss. And there are people not around any longer to share uh, what once was the joy of the season. For others, it's completely different, right? It's a reminder of things that are, that are not right in life. Sometimes it's broken relationships. Sometimes it's hard economic times. Um, sometimes all of those things are okay. It's just, for some people, so frustrating, this extravagant focus on materialism and how much little attention actually gets paid to Christ at Christmas. Okay? But what about you? Where is your focus in here, and certainly outside of here. You know, I suppose except for Mary and Joseph and the shepherds who all received visions, like this, this event went unnoticed by everyone in Bethlehem, right? Just business as usual for them. But these few participants in the story knew that something special was happening. Okay. Do you come to this time of the year and realize, just like take time to realize something significant and special happened that we celebrate? Do you recognize the good news? Does it bring you um, great joy? Do you at some point during this Christmas season give glory to God? Do you find yourself living in peace, as the angel said, that comes from embracing the Messiah and the Lord. Listen, we can't control the things around us. I mean, oftentimes it seems like we have, we have little control over our own life circumstances, no matter how hard we try, but each of us can choose to express joy over the life of Jesus right? and to embrace peace because God is over all things and give glory to God 
for the gift that he sent us in the form of Jesus. You and I do have control over those things, and we ought to exercise it. So the shepherds heard the message from the angels, and they went to, the sea, went, they went to see for themselves. And, and we see that it gave them a message to tell, number three, back in Luke chapter 2, verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I love how the shepherds hurried off to see what was happening in Bethlehem. I think I would hurry too, right? It's quite an announcement they're part of. But I love after, after they had seen what was happening, they spread the word about what had happened. And when people heard their report, it says they were amazed. Were they amazed at what God had done? I think probably so, right? Were they amazed that God had revealed this event to shepherds? Like in giving them a front row seat to the greatest event in human history? I'm amazed at that. I suppose they would have been too. But all of that was irrelevant to these shepherds who just simply offered praise to God for what he'd done. They got to see it all unfold right before their eyes. I think it's interesting that although we read in Scripture, Romans 1 in particular, certainly all throughout the Psalms, that that the earth, nature, God's creation around us, that it declares his glory, right? But beyond that, predominantly... God has mostly determined to let his story be shared by the people who've experienced him. There's a legend that recounts the, the return to Jesus, of Jesus to glory after his time on earth. That even in heaven he bore the marks of, of, of his earthly pilgrimage to that cruel cross and that shameful death. And as the legend goes, the angel Gabriel approached Jesus and said, Master, you've you've suffered so terribly for men down there. And Jesus says, yes, I did. And Gabriel said, do they know about how much you love them and everything you've done for them? Jesus responds, oh, no, not yet. (laughs) Right now, just just a handful of people in Palestine know. Well, Gabriel was perplexed. He said, well, then, then, like, what have you done to let everyone know that you love them? And Jesus said, I've asked Peter and James and John and a few friends to tell other people about me. Those who are told will in turn tell other people about me, and and my story will spread to the, the furthest reaches of the globe. Ultimately, all mankind will hear about my life and what I've done. And Gabriel frowned, right? He looked rather skeptical because he knew what uh, poor stuff men (laughs) like you and I are sometimes made of. And he said, but what if Peter and James and John grow weary? And what if people who come after them forget? And what if people down through the centuries 
Just don't tell other people. Have you made any other plans? To which Jesus said, I haven't made any other plans. I'm just counting on them. And 21 centuries later, he still has no other plan. He's counting on you. And he's counting on me to continue this work of of reconciling the world to himself, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. To continue the work that so many have faithfully carried out before us. We have heard the story. We know the message because those first followers shared the story to others who shared the story to others until it fell on our hearts and our ears. The shepherds, it says, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said. How are you doing personally at sharing the news about what God has done to you and what God has done for you and what God has done in you? Now, when I read this last section here, these verses that we read from Luke 2, I I am always um, drawn to this description of Mary. Now, I love our kids. I am proud of of many things they're doing in life and in their families and in God's kingdom. But it says of Mary that she treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Um, That's not the only time that happens in her parenting life. If you read later in Luke chapter 2, Jesus grows up a bit, right? He's 12 years old, and they take him to the temple and they're with a bunch of family, and, and we could go into a lot of cultural things that might make them seem like better parents. But the truth is, like, they left Jerusalem without him, <laughs> okay? Jesus is lost. I mean, he's not lost, but he's lost to them. And they discover sometime later, wait a minute, I thought you had him. No, I thought you had him. I thought uncles and aunts, nobody has him. So they go back to Jerusalem, right? And they find him in the temple. And it says, here's the description we read. They found him in the temple courts sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And we read that everyone who heard him, that is the 12-year-old Jesus, was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And they found him, and I don't know how you punish the Son of God as a 12-year-old, I'm not exactly sure how that works out, but they all left together, and they went back to their home. And we read in chapter 2, verse 51... But his mother, Mary, treasured all these things in her heart. What it must have been like to be the parent of the Son of God. And did you sometimes feel like a child? I'm not sure. But she had this front row seat to what was going on. Like she understood that God knew all along. She understood that this was good news wrapped up in a small bundle. And she too had this message to tell. The simple plan of God has always been to use simple people to bring his son into the world and then have it witnessed by simple people who amazed others with the story of what God has done. I hope you stand amazed today 
at how the plan of God unfolded in these gospel stories. I hope you stand amazed today at how the plan of God is, in, is unfolding in your particular life and family. Because God's writing a story. And, and Mary and Joseph and these shepherds, they were all part of it, but the truth is, so are you. And so am I. So let's be faithful to live out this story. And let's be faithful to tell his story this Christmas. I think the greatest chapter in any person's story who belongs to God is the one where they meet God. Okay? If you, if you have, um, if that chapter has happened for you, tell your story. And if that chapter has yet to be written in your story, let's write it today. That can happen. As we stand and sing here in a minute after I pray, just come talk to us in the back. We'd love to help you get that part of your story figured out this very day. Right? Let's pray together.